Hey everybody, this is Joe. First of all, thank you for downloading. If you're listening to this, it means you're downloaded and you are interested in listening to what we have to say on Atlanta United. So thank you very much for that and for your continued support, even throughout what has been a quite painful season for all of us to endure. I wanted to give you guys a heads up in this interview that we had some connection issues with Zoom uh, when we were talking to Felipe and Rob. So if you hear any buffering, just please use your best. We tried to edit it the best we could, uh, but just wanted to give you a heads up on that. And also wanted to give you a heads up that this episode is brought to you by our presenting partner, Lucid FC, who's been fantastic with us throughout the course of this year and even into last year. I think we're over a year now with Lucid FC. If you're interested in purchasing any clothing from Lucid FC or want to find the best time to buy, whether it's for a sale or a new item of clothing that comes out, highly recommend just follow them on Twitter at Lucid FC. That's where they will announce a lot of those sales. They just had one this weekend for a lockdown sale. Um, That's where you can also kind of just see what their clothes are all about. Uh, Give them a follow at Lucid FC. Check them out on their website at lucidfc.us and Pick up some clothes, pick up a face mask, pick up whatever you want. Um, They've been great partners for us. They're local right here in Buckhead. So thank you to Lucid FC for bringing you this interview with Felipe Cardenas and Rob Usher. It's an absolute peach from the Paraguayan, Miguel. Across it in, looking for Garza, backside and in. Touch final JCM Jones from Mothership, Andrew Salsaka, Jeff Patrick, 9.9 the game. Andrew Salsaka is over there. Say hey, Joe. Hey, Sam. How's it going? Uh, it's over. It's finally over. Yes. Our, our long nightmare. Well, just kidding. Haha, <laughs> there's Champions League. I uh, bet you forgot about that. So <laughs> we'll get to preview that on this show. Isn't that exciting? Um, good news is we don't have to do it alone. We have not one, but but two guests here today. And one of them happens to be Felipe Cardenas, the athletic. How are we doing, Felipe? Hey, guys. What's up? Happy to be back. As always, as always, Felipe becoming a regular, as is our next guest, um, a, a six-time Drama Desk Award winner, a six-time Outer Critics Circle Award, uh, two OBs, you know him, you love him, uh, three-time Tony Award winner, Nathan Lane. Hey, guys. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's, it's really him, isn't it? Uh, well, Rob's here, at the very least. I don't know if we got Nathan Lane yet, but, but Rob is at least on the other end doing his best. Uh, how are we doing, Rob? You know, it's it's not bad. I'm not not doing too bad now that it's finally over, and I don't have to worry about watching those games anymore. Yeah, that's just it, I, and I, I think that's what we want to start with. It's just this kind of general feeling of relief. I think that we all have. How did you guys kind of feel as soon as that final whistle sounded? Because for me, it was kind of like, thank God I don't have to tweet through this anymore. Uh, that that was my thought. But, but how did y'all feel? My only thought was uh, Shawshank Redemption and Andy Dufresne climbing through the, <laughs> through the pipe of uh, human feces and coming out the other side. That's my only feelings, honestly. Rob, Rob knows how I feel because we were DMing during the game, like <laughs> about how the game was going. We were kind of just, you know, it, it's, it's funny because I've been one to openly state here that I'm like, I want Atlanta United to win, usually. Like, if I'm covering an Atlanta United game, I want them to win. I want to see good soccer. I want to see, like, I feel like it's kind of uh, dishonest to say otherwise. Like, I, of course, I want, the team I want to cover, I want them to be relevant and successful and entertaining. And then when we talked to Darren Eels, I think he alluded to it uh, this week. He was like, you know, it hasn't been fun. It's been a slog. And that's how I was feeling, you know, coming down the stretch of the season, like I'm sure all of you guys were. So... Not to say I was, uh, well, maybe I was rooting like for the Bills. I don't know. I just wanted it to be over, and it ended, and we all got the closure that we needed. I, I think for me, I remember thinking that we were going to, again, all of us that cover the team, go through another round of like difficult and awkward post-game Zoom interviews. Um, and, and, and difficult for everyone, for the players, for the communication mm-hmm. staff, for all the reporters, because – Nothing had changed in so long. Like I think Joe, you tweeted this. Like Atlanta United, this version of it is what it is. What it is. Like game to game, they were exactly what you expected them to be. Um, the results were may have changed a little bit, but really the performances are you know that they they stayed the same. And so the the same we're going to ask the same questions. You, you know that the players are dreading coming in front of the camera to talk to us because we're going to ask them about the disappointment, the the failures and just the overall disappointment of a 2020 season. And so I remember thinking that right away. And then 
from then, you know, once we did that, it was like, what's next? You know, what is this team going to do? What does this offseason look like? And I do remember my colleagues at the athletics saying, telling me like, well, now you know what it feels like to cover a bad team. Um, yeah. Because for yeah. two years, they would, you know, give me, you know, the, the whole like, well, look, you lucked out. Like your, your first, what, two years or like a year in, you're covering MLS Cup. You're at Campriona's Cup. You're at U.S. Open Cup and all those, you know, times they're lifting trophies. And it is fun. It's fun to cover a, a team that's good, you know, a team that's different. So, yeah, I think all those memories, but the reality also kind of came crashing down as soon as they lost that game against Columbus. I think we are still lucky to an extent where it's like, I think that we all are pretty confident that this team is not, you know, long term. It's not like they're just going to lay down, you know, they're going to continue to try to compete and try to learn from the things that went wrong this season and try to continue to improve. And so for that reason, I'm still, you know, thankful that we're in this market and we have this team um, with the ownership and leadership that they do. But uh, yeah, it was just one of those seasons where you just wanted to get over with again for the closure aspect of it, you know? So good that we can kind of move on and start talking about some other things like champions league. <laughs> yeah. When we were it's doing awesome. some of the, when we were doing some of the interviews with players this week, it was like people would, there would be a random question about like the look ahead to the champions league games. Like, <laughs> Oh yeah, I totally forgot that that was on the, on the horizon here. Well, we did get to talk to Darren and we're all on this call uh, with them at the end of the year. And they kind of ended that for that Champions League game. Like, we may just, I don't know, see some USL guys up there. It, it's really didn't come across as a priority, uh, rightfully so, I wouldn't think. Um, but we did get to talk to them for a little bit. And I, I did kind of want to get everyone's takeaways from that. Um, my biggest takeaway was that Darren's Atlanta United pin was upside down, which, like, if you have a flag upside down, it's a sign of distress. <laughs> so I thought it was very, like, 2020. He was, so, so he was signaling to us. Yes, exactly. That, okay. Yeah. <laughs> he was like trying to, to like blink his eyes in Morse code, I think, to, to signal for help. But um, he, he, they all handled it well. Um, we didn't get a, toll, a whole lot of direct information, a whole lot of kind of feelings, I guess, about uh, the end of the year, which is to be expected. You have like 25 minutes. There's like 10 journalists there it's to squeeze in particular details, and they're just not going to give you that much in the first place. But what were y'all's thoughts? What did y'all think coming away from it? Yeah, I think, uh, well, for me, they didn't really give us too much insight on the manager, which I was hoping for. I mean, they gave us a soft target day, which was nice. But I think the biggest revelation for me was how both of them talked about how the team has a lot of room to work within the salary cap. So I was a bit excited by that just because they usually don't reveal those type of things. So if they're alluding to that, that means we're probably going to see some moves, you know, at least coming into the team. So I'm a little bit excited about that. On, on on that note, we're kind of in a unique situation here where typically when you come to the end of the season, you know the salaries that guys are on this year. And Atlanta United had a big, you know, change up in the squad where they have a lot of new players, but we haven't gotten a salary guide yet from the Players Association. So we don't really know exactly what kind of financial situation it's been. So to Rob's point, it was kind of heartening to know that it sounds like they have some more room to work with, although... You know, again, I'll go back to to something that Carlos Bocanegra said in a supporters group town hall meeting that was kind of took place uh, about three quarters of the way through the season, uh, which is not made public. And uh, he said that the team was kind of had run up to like a wall, essentially on, on the salary cap. And they kind of had to do some things this year, you know, because they really wanted to try to push it in 2018 and then again, try to keep it together as long as they could going into last year. Uh, and then coming into this year, they just kind of run to the end of their rope. So they had to, you know, make these changes with some of these guys, Tito Villalba, Julian Gressel, you know, all these guys that we've talked about all season. So hopefully, you know, hopefully it does give them some room to to maneuver and, you know, they can make some some additions to the squad, which I'm sure we're going to talk about here. Yeah, I think my takeaway was, and I wrote about this in, in my last story this week, was that I felt like clearly the front office was humbled by this season. Uh, you know, and this is a front office that has been given a lot of credit for the way Atlanta United has come into the league and, and the trophies that they've won and, and the players that have come in, the players that they've sold, the players that they've acquired. Um, you know, Carlos Bocanegra in 2017 was, I think, named the technical director of the year. Um, and that was his first job out of, you know, coming out of retirement. So, the, you know, and Darren clearly, Darren Eels is a guy that that understands uh, how to communicate with a fan base. I think he understands that marketing and, and engagement are very important. And I think he and that team have done an excellent job of you know bringing a fan base and, and giving them 
reasons to be one of now one of the most like rabid and avid fan bases in MLS. However, I think what they did not do was really go into some of the situations and reasons why 2020 turned out the way it did. I think they touched on stuff and I give them a lot of credit. I thought they were frank and, and candid in certain areas. You know, Darren spoke about when he was asked about Frank DeBoer being let go and he was, you know, he, he kind of stuck to the, the same sort of, I guess, reasoning that, you know, the direction of the club was just, they weren't, it wasn't going the way that they wanted. I think clearly that translates to Frank DeBoer. You know, he had lost the locker room clearly. Uh, and so they had to make a change. Uh, I thought Darren was very open about this, the notion that Joseph Martinez may not come back the same way that everyone expects him to, and that they have to have a solution behind him because this season they did not. Uh, and so that, that was good to hear that it's, that that's like the learning. They did talk about learnings and, and having to look at themselves internally. Uh, but they didn't get into too many specifics. I thought, you know, some questions were asked to Carlos Bocanegra about, can you elaborate on some of the mistakes? And he did not, you know, I think he just kind of stuck to accountability and, and, and having to you know do better. And the fact that they feel like they're excited about 2021 and, you know, other than admitting that they have, they cannot have excuses as every MLS club was in this situation with them. You know, clearly they are now owning the fact that things did not work out based on some of the decisions that they made. Now, I think people, and to, to Sam's point, you know, I've seen even comments in my stories at The Athletic where it's like, oh, you need to press these guys harder. Um, and it is hard on a Zoom call when you might get one question, maybe two questions in, and you're thinking about stories maybe for this week and two weeks down the road. Uh, you don't get a lot of access to, to the front office. So I, I don't know if we'll ever hear Carlos Bocanegra or Darren Eel say, hey, we did not make good signings in 2020. They did not work out. I don't think we'll hear that. I think they are choosing to move on quickly. Uh, Darren said that. He'd like to forget about this season. Uh, and now we have to see to Rob's point. I think the salary cap situation is an interesting one because they will make moves. I think if I were a fan, though, I don't blame them for thinking, well, they said that last season as well. We're going to make some changes. We're going to bring fresh faces. Uh, and this is where the club ended up. You know, you make a great point, and it's just that these people are not people who are used to failure in any way, right? Like, you look at Darren, Darren goes to Brown, he's a soccer star there, and he continues to move up the ladder, um, and has succeeded pretty much everywhere he's been in his life. Carlos Bocanegra still shows up on E-Online's list of photos of hottest soccer studs in the year 2018 <laughs> I'm looking at right now, apparently. Um, like that's just their life, right? Like they, they, their life is success and for a year to be so abysmal, right? Like it would be worrying if they weren't humbled in the slightest and they clearly show some contrition here. Um, they know that it has not been what they need to do. And I think, I think there's some worry. There's some worry, especially in Atlanta. And it's something I want to kind of get y'all's thoughts on. Um, what does the fan base do from here? Does it look the same? When we come back, let's say we, we get that Pfizer vaccine in an April and they're like, all right, first game back, like we're opening up 70,000. Is it going to have the same vibe? Is it going to have the same uh, numbers throughout the rest of the year? Uh, now that they've had the, the one bad year that a lot of people worried about in Atlanta's sports culture. I, I think one thing that this club is going to have to contend with going forward is the fact that you know, they've made no bones about it since the, the club was established that they want this brand to be big and successful, um, but they want to kind of have this big club brand attached to Atlanta United. And that was obviously, you know, they were super successful those first few years. But part of what comes with the territory of being a, a quote unquote big club is that when things don't go well, you know, it comes back hard at you the other way. And I think that that's something that this club, to Felipe's point, what he was saying earlier about some of the things that, you know, the front office has learned and been humbled by this season. I think that they've had to learn to have to um, deal with some of the negative, you know, press that they've gotten. And not just press from us, but the, the it's been natural. You know, it's been a natural emotion from fans to be disgusted with what they've seen this season. Because, it's again, it's it's beyond the results. It's just not the same style of team it's not the same uh, brand of soccer that they were kind of not only were they pitched on but they were you know they saw it with their own eyes for for the better part of three seasons so I think for that reason it's going to be difficult I don't think that fans will come in you know 
to your hypothetical, Sam, I don't think that the fans will come in and like, you know, be folding their arms until they see <laughs> Joseph Martinez score a goal or anything. But I do think that there will be a more critical eye that they'll bring to it. It's kind of like, it will, I, I would, to answer your question, I would say that it kind of would remind me of those first early days of DeBoer where there was like, okay, what is this team going to be under a new manager? Is it going to be the same style as, you know, the same fun that we saw in this championship year last year? And then those first two games that he had, I think it was a, what, it was a loss and a draw, or there was a home draw to Cincinnati, which I think was the first home game of the season under him. And there were boos at the, at full time. And I think that that's going to be the pressure that this club faces uh, as they go forward with a new manager. Yeah. I personally don't think that, um, the fans are going to react neg- negatively to 2020. I think everyone's smart enough to realize that it was pretty much an aberration, just all the factors involved. Um, if anything, I think, you know, heading into the next season and hopefully everything's back to normal and uh, fans can come back into the stadium, but it almost feels like a whole brand new start. You know, you got a new manager coming in, basically the only leftover maybe is like Joseph. It's going to be Joseph and, you know, a bunch of new faces, hopefully. Um, because Joseph hasn't really played with any of them. Um, so I think there's a chance for it to be, you know, re- re- reinvigorated excitement um, as far as, you know, as long as they get the manager hire right, that's the most important thing, obviously. If, if they get that right and they have a, a team that's fun to watch, I don't think there's any, any, problem, any doubt that the fans are going to come back as, as big as they were. Well, I do want to say there's yeah. just been like a, a dissonance, I think, to what – the product on the field has been and the brand of Atlanta United. Um, like you can look at the social media and, and you can say that, you know, if you're not winning every game by like a record margin, like they were for a little while there, you know, it doesn't make sense to, to have a team present itself as like, uh, you know, this big Titan of, of soccer, you know, and it, there was a real huge disconnect. And I, I do wonder how much that'll, affect um you know some of the mindset going in but i think you're right i think it's a it's a refresh right i think everyone can kind of look past this year and and go okay this is this is a different thing this is a new thing um so so let's get to it uh but you mentioned rob there's gonna have to be a lot of changes um there's gonna have to be joseph and hopefully a bunch of new guys and i know that you and joe have been doing uh, who's in who's out essentially for dss Um, but i want to get felipe's thoughts on this too Uh, felipe is there someone or are there players at the top of your list? You're like, man, I just don't see them in an Atlanta United uniform next year. Yeah, I mean, I think what in the last story I wrote, I, tr- I just went line by line. I didn't mention players. I know Drew South Soccer has been going a little bit more specific and, and, and kind of like actually reviewing each player and, and the probability that they'll be back. I've just gone through and looked at, you know, line by line, this team has to improve. And, and just quickly to go back to, to what you mentioned before, you know, I think if in a perfect world, there's no COVID and they open up the stadium, everyone can go back. Atlanta United is going to fill that stadium. Uh, I agree with Joe that fans are going to, you know, Atlanta United fans at first were like new to the game. And then they were, but there was a mixture of like people that really understood the game. And so there was like this nice, really, really awesome community. Now I think everyone just knows what's up. And so it's, they, the, the expectation is there. And you cannot be a big club and one of the biggest spending clubs in MLS and, and, and not deliver. I mean, you can have, you're going to have off years, but you can't do this, what happened in 2020, despite, you know, all the different circumstances. So when I look at the team and, and, and Rob mentioned new players coming in and Carlos Bocanegra mentioned fresh faces again, and that they're, they're going to review the squad and, and, and try to upgrade and keep positions. I think one, they have to do that. I look at the back line, especially, I think, you know, losing, LGP to this day, I think has been one of the biggest losses for several reasons. You know, he's, he was a a captain like figure. He was well-respected in the locker room, but just based on style of play, if we just stick to style of play, uh, what he brings to the table was really important to the way Atlanta United wanted to play. You know, he is very polished on the ball. He's, he will take risks in in his passing, but he's very accurate. Uh, He doesn't play the safe ball. Um, and that that allowed that pushed opponents back. It, it allowed the team to play forward and get forward rapidly. It opened up spaces. And I think we look at Atlanta United now with the current group of players. There isn't a lot of surprise in the way that they play. Uh, the spacing is, is is consistently off. That was something they had to work on. And you have inexperience. I think Joe brought it up. Like 
if I were a fan and I'm mad about Atlanta United, it's because not only has the soccer changed, but the personality of the team has changed. I think you used to look at that team and be like, you know, they had real ballers. Like Parkhurst is like, you know, I put him on my top, you know, 25 greatest players in MLS in the last 25 years. I put him in that list because he's a type of center back. Uh, LGP to me is one of the top center backs in the league. You know, not not defender of the year caliber all the time, but just a different sort of defender. Uh, you know, Carlos Carmona, like that type of like hard-nosed number six that was really good on the ball that was different from a lot of other number sixes in this league. And then Tito Miguel, Joseph, Julian, Nagby, you know, these players that when you went to the stadium, you knew you were going to see those types of players. So they don't have that those players. So I think CB, center back, I think they need an upgrade there. You know, I don't know if Anton walks what his deal was, if he's on a one-year deal. You know, he looks like a death piece to me because he did come in and do some good stuff. But he, to me, he's not the type of player that's going to advance your, your play. He will defend. He will do the work. Uh, he can step in. He's focused. You know, Fernando Mesa, I just don't think he delivered. And I think there's so many circumstances that didn't allow him to. Um, but again, I think he's a more man marking, aggressive tackling type of defender rather than the one that you want to actually see on the ball. That's going to put his foot on the ball, lift his head, find somebody, spread the field, send a winger down the field. I just don't think he's that. So I think if you're going to stick with Miles Robinson, you need to find a, an experienced or at least just a polished ball playing center back that can kind of balance even of miles that's going to go out and kind of tackle guys. The number six, everyone knows this. They need a number six, you know, a dynamic number six um, that, that again, that can ball hawk, recover, turnover opponents, and again, very technical. The winger positions, um, I think, are, are still unsettled. You know, Jurgen Dom is going to be much better when he gets his preseason in, but the left wing position is just, it's still wide open. It's been wide open for, I think, a couple seasons now. Uh, same with left back behind George Bello. So I think overall, you know, as far as what who, what players might leave, I think it's you're going to be surprised by some moves. I think I saw that Dirty South Soccer. I think Eric Rometty is like one that players think would be gone. This for me, what would be surprising about that is that, he, that just his dip in form has been so dramatic. Um, and his, he was, to me, he was like what LGP was last year. You could see he wasn't happy. You could see he wasn't really focused. Um, and then he got rotated in and out of the games and he told us before COVID, um, that he didn't like being rotated, <laughs> that, that it's what Frank DeBoer was doing with the squad at the time was difficult for everyone because you're never kind of used to the, your teammates. And so it's going to be interesting. I think there will be frustrations, but before I end, I just want to say like, even though that's exciting for fans and it could be exciting for what 2021 will look like, it's still another big change that they're going to have to deal with. And that's what I asked Carlos Bocanegra. He, he understood the question that it's like, yeah, you're going to have a, you're going to bring in a new manager. I think they're going to get it wrong. I don't think they'll do what they did with Frank DeBoer. I think they'll get it right, but it's still a big change. It's still going back to a different culture. It's still, now you have a core of players that aren't used to whatever culture you're going to bring in. Some do, some won't be. Uh, new players that haven't played with Joseph, that haven't played with Barco, that haven't played with, uh, with Miles and, and or with Franco. So it's, going, it's not going to be an automatic switch and this team is back to where they were. Yeah, I, I, that's a lot. And I, I totally agree with a lot of what you were saying. Um, I do think from a manager standpoint, I think it will be maybe easier to transition when you're talking about that culture change. I think it may be easier for this new manager to come in this season as opposed to what Frank was taking over where really the culture was set with him and he didn't like, you know, things didn't need to change as drastically as maybe they did or or they were perceived to have. Uh, but I think that a new manager will come in with kind of a blank slate because you've heard this, Felipe, when we talk to players, they're like, it feels like a different team, like a totally different place that I'm in as opposed to last year. And you understand why they would say that because they're playing for a new coach. A lot of, you know, their former teammates are all gone. So I think that a lot of that was kind of already broken and, and that the new manager's task will be more to like um, not mend fences, but just, you know, start to build things back up again. Um, and and it, it's going to require, to do. He, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going to require a really strong, that's why it's really important that they hire a manager that has a very, um, 
strong idea, a, a strong identity, a strong, you know, th- that is very convicted in what he believes um, that a team, that his team should be. Um, so I think that that's one thing. I do want to talk, oh, go ahead, Sam, because I'm just going to talk about the center. Well, I wanted to ask, uh, well, before we get to that, I, yeah. I did want to ask, you talked about the changes in the manager and everything like that. I did want to ask about a, a conference I was not in uh, where Brooks Lennon, uh, was it, it maybe a Tuesday or something like that, said that they were, general lack of communication going on within the team that they could not communicate the tactics they could not communicate the shift in formation Uh, i wanted to get y'all's thoughts on that and uh, man that seemed that seemed like an indictment almost that was that was fascinating for for him to come out and say that i think i was surprised i mean i was surprised that he said that 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 was one of the reasons where why he felt like tactically the team was not able to execute on game day uh, because, you know, even though Michael Parkhurst, I remember he told me in 2019 that, you know, he did have a little bit of issues communicating with Tata Martino. It, it wasn't to the point where, like, I didn't know what to do on game day. It was just <laughs> like, you know, you can't have a one-on-one conversation with Tata and perhaps without another assistant there to kind of help out. But, you know, it's it comes to, it's soccer. Like, I think it's easy but like there's a soccer that you should understand whether you're playing with a brazilian an argentine a colombian a german or an slovakian doesn't matter and so yeah i think that was an indictment of the situation internally at the club the fact that clearly it did not work out with frank, um it, frank DeBoer, and then you know you have stephen glass come in and he's just trying to pick up pieces uh i don't think that should ever be an issue you know i think you know diego rubio the the striker for the Colorado Rapids who was just called up to the Chilean national team again, he saw my tweet and he tweeted at me and he was like, Felipe, you know, Bielsa, Marcelo Bielsa doesn't speak any English and he has turned around leads. Tata Martino. And he was like that I know of doesn't speak great in English and he won a championship. So that shouldn't be an issue. Um, you know, and Hercules Gomez got in and like people were really like kind of turned off by it because, and not by Brooks Lennon, it was like, wait, what? Like, this is an issue at a club like Atlanta United, where if you look at MLS clubs, there are South Americans, Latin Americans all over the rosters. And so to me, it felt like an innocent sort of analysis from Brooks Lennon, a, a still a young player, a player that was not here when they were winning championships. Um, and at the same time, it just showed that the coaches weren't able to, to really – you know, get the team together to believe in something, to believe in an idea and an identity, you know, a tactical philosophy. Um, but it should never come down to language. Can't believe anyone would be turned off by Brooks Lennon. That's just shocking to me. Well, when, 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 when Steven Glass came in, again, not an easy situation for him to inherit, right? Things were, things were not good. He didn't have the striker, you know, Joseph Martinez, the, the team MVP and a golden boot candidate, you know, things were bad, but he and and I I totally understand that his task when he came in was he had to stop the 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 goal the leaky goals you know the goals that there's just no excuse for conceding you got to tighten that up you're never going to get results if you're just giving away goals like that but nor but in doing so the team because of the lack of talent really had to divest itself from the ideas that it had of being a a team that wants to play and play on the front foot and press and do all those things. It really had to become a different side. And I felt like that, that was the reason why it looked like uh, a player like Ezekiel Barco, when he came into the team later in the season, he struggled in the team. The team didn't get as good results when he played. And it's not because I think Barco is a terrible player, but the team had just morphed into this team that had to play super direct. They had to play defensive, you know, with a low block, and then go all out. And that's why you saw players like a John Gallagher have a lot of success in that kind of setup because he had space to run into. That's more the, the style of his game that, that suits him. And it didn't suit some of Atlanta's more expensive or more technical players that you would expect for them to be providing uh, production for you. Well, you bring up Zeke, and, and we were talking about players who might come in or out. Um, and there's maybe – y'all have not run the forwards edition yeah, of – that'll be out, Monday. That'll be Monday. Uh, but I, I do want to get y'all thoughts. I'll get a Rob. Which is today because that's when this uh, podcast will come out. Oh, great. <laughs> then we'll today. Perfect. Um, uh, what did you write then uh, about the future? Uh, of Zeke here in Atlanta. Uh, we're talking about changes, and, you know, um, there's some questions there, I think. 
I mean, so I'll start here again. I, I think that, oh man, where do you go with him? So Barco, I, I think that it's very easy to forget that when he first came into the team in 2018, he was very good. He scored a great goal in Orlando. He scored a really good goal against Red Bulls that season when he first came in. And I remember right before he got his, you know, suspension for all that stuff, I remember the, the, the week before that game, I was because I around that, the time where that story broke, I was going back and, and looking at old quotes when Tata was talking about Barco. And Tata had literally, literally referred to Barco as our best player the week before that that happened. Um, so he clearly has talent, and he's shown that talent in Atlanta. Um, it hasn't been consistent, and obviously with the way that things went this year, I really felt like it was uh, – things were just kind of conspiring where Atlanta was playing better without him. And when he played, he didn't, wasn't as effective as he could be, like I was talking about earlier. So, you know, it's, it's the thing with Barco is not that he's a bad player at all. It's just that I don't think that his, I, I, I just feels like his time here has come to a, a natural end, right? Like he, I think it would be a mutual beneficial thing for, the team to open up his designated player spot, try as somebody else. I think it would benefit him to get in a new setting, get with a new group of players and, and potentially that could unlock him a little bit because we have seen him play well. Like when he goes to the Argentina and plays with the U twenties, he plays really well. Um, and I think that he, we've seen him play very well in Atlanta when he's been playing with a lot of talented players around him. He's just a very unique player in that. Um, I, I just don't know if he's best set up, to play in MLS, not because of the style, but because he's not the kind of player who's going to score a ton of goals or even set up a ton of assists for you. And in MLS, you really need those designated players to be, to, to have that goal scoring production, that goal production for you. And he's just, he doesn't, he's not, you know, proving himself to be a guy who can do that consistently. So um, I, I think it makes sense to move him on. But again, it's going to be tough because, you know, his stock is not high right now. He's not going, this is not the ideal time where you want to try to sell him. Um, and I'm sure that teams will be coming in trying to lowball Atlanta United because they, they kind of know the state that they're in right now with both his contract situation and also him personally. So it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out, but I would suspect that he's not going to be on this team to start next season, but I could be wrong. I don't yeah, hear I think- what Rob has to say. Yeah. Yeah, I think Joe hit the the nail on the head in his last part about just the type of player that Barco is. Like, he's not he's not gonna be the player that puts up a ton of goals. Not he's not gonna really play that final ball too often to get that primary assist. I I always compare him to a player like David Silva, who who I love personally, like watching him from afar. But it's very infuriating when he's you know expected to be that star player and he's not really that standout type of player. So. As far as his long-term prospects with Atlanta United, I'm not as confident as Joe is that, that he won't be here next year. I just don't see a team coming in and giving Atlanta United a ton of money for him right now. So the only way I see him leaving is if, you know, Atlanta United just really want to get rid of him and sell either sell him for cheap or even maybe even send him on loan somewhere just to get, hopefully maybe his stock will rise naturally when he's away from the team and they can get some more money for him somewhere. But as much as this team needs fresh blood and a, a very dynamic uh, designated player to come in, I'm just not certain that he's going to be gone next season. I agree with Rob. I think that for, and, and again, what I wrote this week was that just because of COVID and the way it's really just really messed up the transfer market and, and, and financials for every team around the world, I mean, unless you're a PSG or, or even a Juventus that can offload million dollar players, um, it's really tough to kind of go in and make big purchases. Um, I think the only way that he le- that Ezekiel Barco leaves, you know, in this off season, um, is is if he find if Atlanta finds a suitor in South America. I don't think it'll come from Europe. I mean, there are some teams in Brazil that are still spending money, that have money, that want to upgrade. Um, and, and, you know, there are teams in Mexico, a couple teams in Mexico that could potentially do that. But I don't think, I, I just don't think that's what Atlanta United wants to do. I think we talked about this at the top of the, at the top of this, you know, pod that, you know, they've, they've experienced so much success and some of that success has been in, it's just, it's, you know, selling Miguel Marone. That was part of the brand. That was part of the concept. It was the proof of concept that we can bring these players in and sell them to European clubs. 
Uh, and I think they still want to do that with, with Barco. Now, there's, again, there's going to be there are different circumstances. There's going to be a big, big summer, a huge summer for international tournaments. You're going to have the, I believe, a under-20 World Cup. He's not going to be in that, but like, there's just a lot going on. There's the Olympics that's going to come, come you know, to, to Tokyo in 2021. Um, you know, if he's still in the picture, if he's not injured, you know, he's going to be on that Argentina team. Um, and, and that could potentially be that, that window that they need. At the same time, you know, he is a luxury player. You know, he is. That, he's by de- definition a luxury player. Um, and you can't have it fill your squad with that type of player if they're not going to perform. And so I think it'll be a learning for Atlanta United to bring in an 18-year-old uh, with a, with, whose stock was high at the time um, and, and, you know, who knows, you know, I don't, he, I agree with Joe. He, he scored some big goals and he came in, but he was never truly settled. Um, and, and even under Tata. And so I think he has to, the new coach, if he's a coach that values that type of player, you know, a very technical, uh, you know, low to the ground type of player that's going to get by guys, that's going to earn fouls, um, that can run at defenders, um, from multiple positions, um, but perhaps it's still like, okay, he, I'll work with him because he continues to be a project type of player. If, if, if a coach comes in and sees that, I'm like, I need that guy. then I think he stays, you know, but if, if he's considered expendable and financially it makes a little bit of sense, then he could, he could move on. I, I don't think he will. I, I think he'll still be here next season. If I could like hit on one point that Felipe and actually a lot other people have talked about with Barco talking about the the Olympics and really banking on that to improve his stock. If you know, I could bring my patented uh, pessimistic take on here for a bit. Um, <laughs> what happens if Barco his, his form doesn't improve coming into next season? Argentina isn't like the United States where they just call up players because they know they're talented. They call up players because they're in form. Um, it's not out of the realm of possibility that they overlook Barco and bring in some other players just because they're playing better. What happens to Barco then if his, you know, he gets overlooked for that team, his confidence goes down even more, and he has, a, you know, another bad season and this, this, his value just plummets. Like, what if this is his peak value right now to sell for Atlanta United and they miss out on more, even more money if they don't sell right now? I mean, there's a, there's a flip side to every argument. So, yeah. Maybe it's time to cut bait. I'll, I'll jump on it first. I mean, I think it's a great point because it's it's a risk. It's a risk that you're, you're going to take on a player that um, has been injured for, for a lot. Uh, but you're also, you also think, well, you know, he's still very valid in Argentina, especially at the 23 level. Uh, you know, for him to not be selected into that team, yeah, a lot of things would have to go wrong. He would either have to suffer a series of injuries that just don't allow him to play. His form would have to completely plummet. Uh, and, and at the same time, there would have to be players in his position, which is like a number 10 position in Argentina, that that manager believes are, are better than Barco. That could happen, absolutely. And, and I don't think they're going, Atlanta is going to be bailed out the way they were with P.T. Martinez. Um, there's not going to be, uh, you know, an Al Nasser or an $18 million bid for, for Ezekiel Barco if he's not performing. Uh, there might be, you know, a 10 million, you know, between a 10 and $14 million bid from a, another club that thinks like, you know, he can work with us. But listen, it's, it is, that's why the front office gets paid the way the money they get paid. That's why they're in those positions. They're going to have to make these key decisions and decide if he's worth keeping because it is a risk at this point. You know, I, I think they will. I think I, I truly believe that I think he will stay. Will I be surprised if he's moved on? No, because of everything that we've talked about, but it would have to be a deal that everyone can literally save face with. Like they, the money is right. At, at least it's a, it's, it's, it's satisfactory for the club. Uh, the player is open to it. Um, and the new manager is like, yeah, I'm fine if, if we're going to upgrade in that position with another DP. Because again, this we don't, it's it's difficult not knowing who the manager is. The manager might be right now as we speak really high on Ezekiel Barco. What are you talking about who the next manager might be? And I think that's a good thing to discuss on the other side of this ad break. Well done, Sam. I'm proud of you. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm wearing my extra time shirt. I felt like we'd be there. That was good. <laughs> Top level. Um, 
Wow. Here, let, let, let me let, let, let me let me say something. I, I want to say one more thing on on Barco uh, to Rob's point about the risks. So Brooks Lennon said something else yesterday, which I found fascinating. Um, and I'm just going to quote him here because I'm not making this up. He, you know, and I'm not trying to take shots at anybody. Um, this is what Brooks Lennon said, quote, every single individual who took part in this season this year needs to look at themselves in the mirror to say what you did, what you can improve on, and the way you need to act day in, day out to help this franchise win games. Bocanegra and Glass aren't going to pinpoint any names, but you got to look at yourself in the mirror and decipher whether you gave it your all and tried your best to help this team win or you didn't. So I don't know if he's talking about Ezekiel Barco there, first of all. I don't know who he's talking about, but clearly he's talking about somebody if not multiple people. And so if that's the case, like you cannot, that, that, is, that feels untenable for me. Like you can't have a player, especially a designated player on the squad who I'm not going to say like doesn't care, but again, to Brooks Lennon's point, he, he's, he's identifying some unknown players on this team as not having done as much as maybe they could have, whether this be in games and training, whatever it is. And so I just feel like you're in a tricky situation with Barco where you have a player whose contract is, we think, dwindling down. We don't know how exactly how many years there are left on it, but if 2021 is his last, is his final year, I mean, that's a problem. You, that It probably is not the case considering he, he's already here. I feel like if 2021 was his last year, um, it'd be pretty surprising that he's still on the roster at this point. But that's just, you know, if that, that kind of thing that, that Brooks Lennon said yesterday is, or Thursday, um, is, can, can be uh, divisive. And you do not want something like that being around when you've got a new coach coming in, you're trying to kind of rebuild this situation. You don't want any of that kind of bad blood or even just like annoyance like between teammates um in the dressing room so just one thing to look out for and again i i want to say again i don't he didn't identify any specific player that he was talking about but just you know with the way that things played out barco could be one of those players he could have been talking about anybody of course but um just just something that i felt worth really pointing out for people to take notice of sounds like we're clearing Wow, everybody. I know. Well, I'll just, everyone wants to jump on this because, first of all, I asked him that question because, you know, Carlos Bocanegra, Stephen Glass, on numerous occasions and in pretty like specific situations, have called out the players. Yeah. Um, And they have not named any players, but they have, you know, Carlos Bocanegra said players that have won championships for us have not been performing. You know, uh, Stephen Glass, on numerous occasions after losing a game, would say there have not the players have there are certain players that have not performed the standard of, of, of Atlanta United. And I remember after one of these games when they had, they were they did not win, I remember Doug Robertson of the Atlanta General Constitution asked Jeff Lorenowitz if he knew he he had heard that if he had heard that Carlos Bucanegra had essentially called out the players, and Jeff's reaction was like no I didn't know that and it was not a oh no I didn't know that it was kind of like he wasn't happy about it. You know, he was not mm-hmm. happy about that. Um, and so I felt it was important to ask Brooks Lennon that question yesterday. You've, we have heard from your technical director and your interim coach that there are players on this team that have not lived up to the standard. I mean, we can all agree that a lot of players haven't. I mean, it's not, you know, you, you can just watch games and you know that. But how, does, how do the players feel about that? And that was his reaction. That was his answer to what Joe essentially read off. And so I agree. I think it does show that. Um, everyone's under pressure. I think it shows that they're probably, you know, in training or in the in the recovery room, perhaps eye rolls and, and players thinking that, hey, I'm out here training hard. I'm out here playing every minute. Where are you? And if that's going on, then again, it just goes back to the fractured culture of that club. You know, that the fact that the, the, the previous manager had completely lost the locker room, there was no trust in the leadership. Uh, and then you can't expect an interim coach to, to just fix it. So, yes, I agree, Joe. That has to, they need to stamp that out as soon as possible. It was Joe brought up uh, Barco's contract, and I think Darren Niels was the one that spoke on it, and he used the phrase he was had multiple years left on his contract. And I thought it was funny. I think they used the exact same terminology when they were talking about Leandro Gonzalez Perez's contract last year when they had the whole with Felipe's report and his contract and stuff like that. 
So I just don't think they're going to be 100% honest in those situations when they're talking about contracts. So I think that's really something we got to think about with Marco going forward, just because it's not an unlimited contract. He's been here for, what, three seasons now. So there's got to be a factor in these negotiations. Yeah, we when we asked Darren at the at the very end of that press conference about Ezekiel Barco, you know, he basically gave the pitch that he would give to other teams who are interested in buying him. <laughs> That's ex- like it's exactly what he said. He was like, "Well, he's he's a player who still has multiple years on his deal. He's shown inconsistency, but we know he's better." You know that kind of thing. So yeah, I mean, I'm sure the club liked probably fielding that question so that they could put that statement out there about Barco. Uh, but I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how he plays. And I shouldn't say like if I, even though I might think that he's not going to be around in 2021, if he is, I still think he has every opportunity to be a really productive player for this team. And in general, I feel very optimistic about this team in 2021, so long as they get a, a really, you know, I personally approve of the manager that they hire. No, but if they get a good manager, I really think that this the, the sky's the limit for this team. They still have a lot of talent. You got Joseph coming back, um, and you got guys like Eric Lopez, who they spent money on against their their. Well, I don't know if it went against their cap this year because he was on the twos, but you know he was a guy that they were planning on counting on having. He wasn't available, so I really think that there is a lot of lot of upside for this team with or without Barco. I think Barco can have a really productive season next year, but it's just a tricky situation that they're they're kind of walking a tightrope this offseason with him. Before we move on, I just wanted to add real quick that it seems like Brooks Lennon has a lot of experience sending out cryptic messages, possibly to the San Francisco Chronicle in the summer of 1969 or 1970. But that's all I wanted to say. Um, so let's go ahead and move on to the manager talk. Um, Joe, you kind of brought it up a little bit here. Um, do they feel – was there any indication at all that they were close at this point from the – you were talking about uh, talking to Darren there at the end. Was there anything that felt um, – close at all like are, are we we're all like day 110 so uh, i'll felipe probably has more insight on this but i felt like just the fact that they said we plan to name him by the end of the year or or we expect to name him or what however they phrased that they, they said the end of the year that at least gave me some comfort that they actually do have specific people in mind that they've already had conversations with like you wouldn't put that out there if you hadn't if you didn't feel far along enough to say something like that. So as for what names, I mean, I wrote about Dominic Turan. I did not know that he was going to like get, get let go of Flamengo like three days after I wrote that thing. Cause we're just going to be doing a lot of profiles of different managers here coming up on dirty South soccer these next several weeks until they name somebody to just kind of talk about different, different types. But I think that he was, he would be a guy that would, I think slot in very nicely here. I think that he checks a lot of boxes that Atlanta United would be looking for in terms of a guy who could connect to South American players, a guy that has connections to Europe. I really think that Darren Eels wants to have that touch point of the manager being able to have contacts in Europe where they can kind of, you know, be able to massage some relationships, extend their network for all types of different reasons. That kind of thing I think is important for the club. So I think that Toronto, fits a lot of those things whether he's going to be the manager or they've been talking to him I have no idea but now we do know that he is officially available so uh that's one name we are we've already talked about some other ones but um I don't know if anybody else has any like information or or takes on kind of what's going on with the manager search right now I'll go quickly because guess what I just remembered I need to jump on Tata Martino's press conference from Austria beginning here in a couple minutes but um Listen, I, I think that they sent out some speaking of cryptic messages. Yeah, I think they 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 seemed, you know, bullish on on the hire. Uh, both uh, Carlos Bocanegra and Darren Eels, um, you know, they were excited about it. They mentioned that several times. I think it's some, like it's one of the key pieces that they're using to kind of forget about twenty twenty and move on. They, you know, I think that tells me that they are in a good place as far as who this next manager is going to be. Um, you know, I think as far as insight that I have, you know. I just think that they're not, that they've learned their lesson. I think that's, that's what I've, my, I think that's what my reporting tells me. That's what, when I, when I talk to sources, when I talk to colleagues, I feel like Atlanta United knows and the front office knows what has worked and what hasn't. So I don't think they're going to go back to this a manager that doesn't just fit the identity. The club doesn't fit the locker room, would not be respected by their locker room. So I think that was the number one thing. Um, you know, Frank DeBoer also, he just doesn't resonate with players in South America. They don't know who he is. Mm-hmm. And so that was a key piece of players coming over to play for Tata. Like 
Tata was the reason why a lot of these players wanted to join Atlanta United. It was at the right time, at the right moment, where Tata was still very well known in, in a country like Paraguay. He always will be, but he was very well known in Paraguay. He was just coming off some, you know, success with Argentina, not winning the Copa America, but he was, you know, there were players that were on that team that they, the last team that an identity, the, the last Argentina national team that had an identity was Tata's team. And so he brought in a lot of these players. That's what they need. I think they will, uh, you know, remember what that was like. They will accept and uh, essentially admit that they were wrong in, in hiring a European manager that was not going to be the right fit philosophically. Um, and, and they'll make the right hire. I mean, again, we'll have to wait and see. But I think that will be key to how this team moves forward. I think I think that's your call. I think that's your call, Felipe. Uh, thanks, for, it, th that's th it. thanks for joining us. Tell Tata right, we said hi. <laughs> I will. I will. We'll <laughs> take care. Yep. I want to uh, go Felipe back. Mentioned that, yeah, real sorry, quick, go I ahead, Sam. That, that Felipe mentioned that the South American players don't seem to care for, for Frank. It doesn't appear that the Dutch players do either. He's like, what? Like he has two draws, two losses in the first four games. <laughs> like the worst start in, in, in that team's history for a new manager. Um, yeah. So, you know, and, just and keep feeling upward, Frank. I was going to say, too, it's like when Frank uh, – I, I did Felipe say like he – he wouldn't be respected or known or whatever by players in, in this dressing room. And it's like, that's not, that's not what Frank wants to hear either. Like he, yeah. he, like he, he wants people to make sure he knows who he is. You know, he wants to definitely needs that, that love. Yeah. Um, I wonder, I wonder how well known Alan Pardew is in South America. <laughs> I hear so thing, we, we haven't been able to be out and we haven't been able to accidentally catch him at like the downtown Hilton or whatever right. he was at last time. It's a bummer. <laughs> we'll, we'll get our sources back soon. Promise. Alan Pardew is just like eating breakfast at the Bojangles next to the, <laughs> next to the, next to the, uh, the training ground. <laughs> Alan Pardew would fucking love Bojangles and he's lucky because he gets to go. You have to go out of the perimeter to get a Bojangles. It's trash. Yeah, yeah. It's, it really is. Um, um, I do want to stay on Torrent. Um, and I, if I'm not saying that right, tell me, because um, I'm from South Georgia. It's torrent. Torrent. I'm just kidding. Whatever. It's, it's, how, it's however. It's however is in my heart. It's all. It's all on a spectrum. Whatever. Um, <laughs> there's a there's a really interesting article out there, and I I, I didn't have time to look it up. Um, but John Mueller from the Outfield got to just sit at a wine bar with this human and talk tactics for three hours while they drank. Like, I love I this know, story. <laughs> uh, just Pinot Noir and stuff like that and, and waxed poetic about tactics. And they had a tactics board or something with them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's an incredible thing if you want to kind of get some insight into to who he is as a person and what he thought of MLS. And that's the big thing here as far as I'm concerned with him potentially coming to the team. Dude just was not feeling MLS at all by the end of it, the, the roster restrictions were too much for him. The cap restrictions were, were not what he was feeling. Um, but, you know, he went to maybe the biggest club on this side of the world and didn't really have any restrictions and it didn't turn out super great. So uh, maybe he's, maybe he's come around on that. We'll have to see. Um, of course, if Atlanta backs the money truck up, um, it, it's real easy to convince people when you back the money truck up. So that's my thoughts on, on Torrent. I think he took some snipes at the media too during during those final those final days. He was yeah, just kind of lashing <laughs> out a bit and yeah, things didn't end too well, but who knows? Who knows? I I would suspect he's probably not a candidate, like a legit candidate. We I, like I said it in that post in the Dirty South Soccer thing that we wrote that like um fit-wise he'd probably be good, but availability-wise he's probably not. And even even with him out of contract, even though that makes him technically more available, I still just don't know yet yeah, to your point Sam whether he would even really be interested in 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 the job, but um yeah, anyway. I have a little bit of uh conspiracy theory to add to Sam's Ooh, running run, running thing. Ooh. So the team saying that um they plan to hire a manager before the season ends or before the year ends, you know what else happens before the year ends is the San Jose earthquakes will be out of the playoffs. Yep. <laughs> it's all lining up and always that's happens. Why, that's why they can't put a, a, a specific timetable on it. You're right. Yes. Uh -huh. Because you have to so wait. They, maybe they make a run. Who knows? Have, you know? have we, have we talked since I did my whole thread conspiracy about how this was a done deal inside the bubble in Orlando? I don't think we have, but my thought is that they just got it all done 
like handshake deal they went through the on the, the breakfast the, napkin uh, yeah on the breakfast napkin exactly where no one could see them like off in the corner of the continental breakfast in orlando and, and got this done already um so so add it to the lore that's thought that's my thought have y'all have y'all seen those videos of like the team like celebrating with him on the field and i'm just like looking at it like through the rainy window <laughs> yes. like just so jealous <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's amazing yes i have rob like me almost meaningless regular season games sometimes they'll just freak out just because they they end up winning it together. it's awesome and they have that one coach whose whole bit is i don't even think he coaches the team i think he's just there to spray the magic spray in the air as they celebrate and it's an incredible aesthetic to it every time i love it i love it um if he if he's probably done in san jose either way is my thought and he's going to get paid uh, wherever he ends up um i still think it would work in atlanta but i don't know but that's all i got that's all i got on the manager search y'all. yeah been- i mean there's not a lot to say like we we don't know anything specifically it's just just bizarre that again there hasn't been any real public links so it something's up it's clearly something's up but we can't say with any specificity <laughs> i'm hey. just not seeing that on the uh the show sheet that you made joe you have as, as the final bullet point Felipe reveals new manager's name, <laughs> and he just left. He just left, so we're not going to get it. Well, we'll have to get him back on, yeah. you know. We'll, we'll have to get him back on. Shoot. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, anything else you want to touch on? I know, Joe, you might have wanted to mention something about the center backs as we kind of move forward. Um, I, I do want to give both of you all again on the, on the in and out series. I know I'm not saying the correct name for it. but it just made really up a name. Yeah, it, it's really interesting to look through it, and it's great to go player by player and really kind of take stock of their season and, and think about their future with the team, especially in the year where Rob has brought up as well that it's going to be almost a completely different team in 2021. Well, on, on the kind of on, on that in and out topic and the center back topic, it's one something I wanted to talk about because I want to talk about Franco Escobar. Um, Franco is a guy who this year has really endeared himself to fans with the way that he's um, performed on the field, the character that he's shown kind of on the field and off the field, the way he's represented the club, I think is something that fans love, you know, they love a passionate player. um, And clearly it seems like he is, he was fully committed to this team throughout. Um, The really interesting thing for me with Franco is that he, to me, looked considerably better as a center back than as a right back. Um, And so if you sign him, do you sign him with the intent or do you like, if you're going to re-sign him, I guess, or bring him back for next season, is he going to be a guy who's playing every game next to Miles Robinson in a back four? Well, let's just theoretically say they're going to hypothetically say they're going to go with the back four next season, which is probably more, 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 more likely than not what they, what they would go with. Is he the right partner for him? I'm not sure. Like I really like Franco Escobar as a center back again, like I said, but I'm just to Felipe's point, what he was saying earlier about Leandro Gonzalez Perez, it feels like that kind of player who's a little bit more cultured, a little bit more, even though, LGP could run hot at times. He, he was definitely, he called himself the daddy, you know, to Miles Robinson in 2019. Um, can Franco Escobar be the daddy? You know, like, is he kind of that guy who can be the, the solid partner for a guy in Miles Robinson who's very talented, very physically talented, um, but just kind of could definitely benefit from a steady, stable center back next to him. I'm not sure that he is. So I just think that it's a very interesting situation. I think that Franco Escobar, the, the, the great value value that he holds is the fact that he can play as a center back or a right back and kind of give you that versatility. We saw that with Frank DeBoer in the, the latter part of his tenure where he could change shape in games because he had Franco Escobar who could play as a right back or play as a right-sided center back uh, in a back three. And so that could let you change the shape mid-game without having to make a sub. Um, that helps, but... I, again, I don't know if you're necessarily getting the best out of Franco himself if you're moving him around like that. So I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it'll be an interesting situation, and you would hate to see a guy like Franco leave the team. Like if he's not a great tactical fit, um, you would hate to see him not be around because of the way that he's endeared himself to fans. Like I was saying earlier, but it's just a, I don't know. It's just an interesting uh, situation that he's in. I definitely think he can be the daddy if he's the daddy that stumbles home drunk at two a.m. but always shows up for birthdays and remembers birthdays. He's reliable like that, but he's not reliable in you know the everyday sense. Um, I think I'm not I'm not I'm not too committed to the whole four back. I think 
I think definitely we could see some, uh, I mean, obviously it just depends on who the manager is. I think plenty of managers play a five or a three back. Um, and I think, I just think Atlanta's personnel is so molded to like a three back or a five back when you have like, you know, two perfect wing backs in Bello and Lennon. I just don't think you need to, True. we need to eliminate the possibility. And obviously Franco in a three, in a three center back setup would work wonders, I think. Yes. You, just yes. Gotta, you would have to find someone to go on the other side of Miles Robinson. And I think, you know, when we talk about bringing in players um, in the, in the off season, whether it be a, a number six or another center back, you need that. We really need that team leader on the field who's going to organize and, um, you know, be the field general. And obviously I don't think Franco is that type of player. He's more of a, a hothead than a passionate player that we, as we saw, you know, last weekend. Um, but I, I personally hope he stays. I love the guy. I mean, I wish we were best friends. We can play FIFA together. Maybe he's listening. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I should say the only reason I said uh, the thing about the back four, I, I would be totally fine if the team plays a back three. Like if that, I think it actually does fit their personnel quite well, especially with Miles Robinson. I think he's like the perfect central center back in a back three because he can just kind of sweep up everything. But um, I don't know. It just feels like a back four is a more common kind of tactical setup. But uh, that's the only reason I say that. But yeah, I mean, I, will, I, I hope he's back too in some form or fashion because of all the reasons that you just mentioned. I have uh, just one more point about the whole ins and outs uh, situation. I was going to mention it earlier when Felipe was talking about Joseph Martinez and his return. I've, you know, I think Darren said all the right things about, you know, making sure they have a contingency plan in case he goes down. I just worry that there's so much complacency about Joseph returning. I hope that there's, you know, I hope that complacency isn't true, that he's going to fix everything as soon as he comes back. You know, I've heard, you know, a few people say it. I've seen people say that once Joseph comes back, that for that, that, atta- that attacking line of Joseph, uh, Jurgen Dom, you know, Moreno, Barco, whoever, is perfectly fine. It's It'll put fear in, def- fear in the <laughs> opponents. And I just don't feel that at all. I think we need, you know, I don't want to say major changes. I don't want to over-exaggerate, but I do think we need substantial changes in the attack and, well, obviously the midfield, but whether it be, you know, some of those young DPs or young spots or even upgrading Barco for a new DP. We need something more dynamic in that attack to go with Joseph. I don't want Joseph to come back and struggle like like this year and him get frustrated. Like, if Joseph came back and was that frustrated player like he was this year, it would be so devastating. Like, mm-hmm. He's just such a shining light with his team. Like we need him to, we need to give him every advantage and every help and bringing in players to link up with them is vital in my opinion. That is something that like people are going to have to reckon with a little bit. The the dude is coming off an ACL tear. Yeah. There are no guarantees at all. And you know, there's always, once you tear one, there's always the higher risk that you tear the other. You overcorrect, you Mm -hmm. start leaning on the other one a little bit more. Um, and you see it all the time with players who, who then go out and almost immediately tear the other one, and it's another long road back to recovery. They're never quite the same. Yeah. Um, so don't put all your basket or your eggs in the, in the Joseph basket. Um, you know, don't call him daddy just yet. Why are we talking about daddy so much? <laughs> I don't like it. I, I, to, I want to just add on to Rob's point. Uh, again, talk about the, our front line, like putting fear in, uh, in opponents as it stands right now. I mean, I think it's, I, sorry, go ahead. No, just, this was an amazing moment in the DSS comments yesterday <laughs> when the commenter said, tell me you don't think a front W of Barco, Lopez, Heinemann, Joseph Moreno, Dam won't terrify teams heading into 2021. And Rob immediately replied, I don't think a front W of Barco, Lopez, Heinemann, Joseph Moreno, Dam will terrify teams heading into 2021. Um, so th- there you go. It, it's just not oh, – it- that was such a strong that was such a strong defense of uh that the initial comment was such a strong defensive emerson Hindman. i was like kind of surprised <laughs> i didn't see it coming um I, I, re- I really wanted to apply is that you emerson but i was i didn't want to i don't want to piss any more commenters <laughs> off this year yeah you've already done that enough rob um no but i think like to rob's point i think that this team could really benefit and maybe bargo can be this guy but again with the setup he was kind of stuck in this year with the team um, being better off playing very direct and he's just not that player I, you feel like this team would be so much more dangerous if you just had instead of a guy like Barco you had a like a winger who was just going to take guys on game like just go at the fullback time after time after time and could actually beat that guy as opposed to how often do we see Barco you know receive the ball or carry the ball up that left side and the fullback is in position and so he doesn't really even try to go at him he kind of puts his foot on the ball drops it back in the midfield 
and it kind of takes steam out of a counterattack at times or, or it just makes him kind of seem not so dangerous. You just like Barco's not really a guy who wants to literally run at defenders one-on-one and try to beat them. And I feel like if Atlanta had that player, um, you know, th- th- that is at a very high level. Like I think we like a guy like John Gallagher is probably more like that style. He's just not as technically advanced. If you had a designated player type, um, who had that same kind of aggressiveness to take on a fullback like John Gallagher does, then I think you have something going. Because Jurgen Dam is the guy who's going to be more of the get up the line, get the crosses in. I think if you have that guy who really wants to drive inside, really go at goal and apply pressure on those fullbacks, um, then I think you have a you got a stew going. Yeah, I mean, I've been saying that about Barker for the last three seasons about yeah, you, him on the yeah. wing. Um, not, not to do my own horn or anything, but for me, he's just a 10 or nothing else. Yeah. I mean, obviously, he could be a t- like a creative player on the wing. But anyways, I, I always I, – I said it like last year. I think a player who would be perfect for our team is someone like Brian Rodriguez for LAFC. I know he hasn't put up the numbers, but just that style of player who, like Joe said, who's going to run at players, run at defenders, put them on the back foot, get a ball in or even cut in and take a shot. So someone with that dynamic potential is what we're really missing. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right we got anything else to talk about i I think we covered pretty well there um and and that's kind of our final autopsy uh for for this season um we may i don't know we'll we'll, we'll we'll be doing some stuff we might we we might be together we might not we might you know just just pay attention to the feed We'll, we'll continue to drop some stuff i'm sure we'll do something around uh the concacaf champions league game i think it'll be interesting to see what kind of players they bring into that camp we should i i'll just kind of outline this very quickly before we get out of here for that ccl game i'm less than honestly uh less interested in the game itself and the squad that is selected to play in that game as to just see uh what players are brought into camp because i think that they will have like a little training camp that will be an expanded squad that will involve more academy atlanta united two players and then they will send a portion of that group to the bubble to play in this game um and those the players that go into that bubble have to be on a contract either with atlanta united or atlanta united two so no academy players in that group can go um, but that still leaves like Jackson Conway is a guy who's on an Atlanta United two contract. We saw, you know, got some homegrowns, um, Tyler Wolf being one of them this year, George Campbell could potentially get some game time. So it'll be good. That'll be kind of like a, almost like a minor league game. Uh, I think it'll be fun to kind of see what kinds of young kids and, uh, potential prospects are involved. So we'll probably do something around then. I do have a request. You got to get, you guys got to bring me back when they, after they hire Mauricio Pochettino and do the, <laughs> when they do the special podcast, I got to be the guest. I'm sorry. Noted. We'll bring you Definitely on in Tony Award winner Nathan Lane. We'll have both of you. It'll be great. <laughs> um, all right. Let's get out of here. Uh, you guys can find Joe at jpatrick200 on Twitter. You can find Rob at Rob Usry on Twitter. Rob U-S-R-Y. You can find me at Jenner Score Sam Jones. And you can find all of us on Very South Soccer uh, and me on MLSsoccer.com as well. And Joe at Nice Kind of Game. And Rob and pretty much everywhere else too. Wherever he wants to be, he just shows up. Um, so yeah, check out all that stuff. Keep checking your feed. Um, and we love you. We love you. Thank you for making it through this with Thanks. us. Everybody was troopers. Out. Yes, everywhere. <laughs> it's, it's like the um, it's like when you have kids going on on a terrible road trip, and the dad <laughs> is like, "Y'all have been troopers. Thank you yeah. for for doing that with me." Um, so thank y'all for being troopers as always, and happy campers and everything else like that. Even when you had no right to be. Um, we'll see y'all later. Bye, y'all.